Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with Ben Hansen. Ben, with this uh, special technology that uh, can be used, I assume, on people who have died, but they're on videotape? Yeah, so um, it could be video. Um, we could also do it with just an audio file um, and then also just with written statements. Of course, if you have all three, uh, or at least you know have them on, on video speaking, we can apply all the different modalities to it. And um, gosh, what was so cool, though, when they, they told me this, I was like, okay, well, sign me up. Um, <laughs> let's do the show. And and uh, so they would sit me in a chair, and basically um, I had no forewarning um, how the, the uh, you know, results went with these different interviews, and, and they would just lay it on me right there. So my reaction to most of it, I would say, was just as I expected. So a couple examples. Uh, those familiar with the Roswell story know that um, the story of Glenn Dennis, the mortician, and this Nurse X, so Glenn claims that um, the the base, the air base at Roswell, called him. He was the the town mortician and ambulance driver, and uh, started asking him questions about um, how many child-sized caskets could he get that were hermetically sealed, and how do you preserve bodies that have been out laying in the elements for a long time? And he thought well, this is really weird. Um, so then he finds himself, um, you know, driving to the base. And his story is that he was taking an airman uh, in the ambulance to the base. And then while he's there, he uh, goes to the hangar, you know, where the debris was stored, mm-hmm. and sees the debris and um, a nurse that he meets who tells him to get out of there and later draws him pictures of uh, the autopsy of, of these beings. So you take the whole story into account, and what's uh, really you know, extraordinary is that with a high probability, this AI predicts that he was telling the truth on most of it, um, except for the part about why he was on the base. And so the the conspiracy there is that he probably knew this nurse maybe was having some sort of an affair. Um, and, and so it, you know, not every story is going to be straight up, you know, every everyone's telling the truth. This is, this is how witnesses uh, disclose things. Uh, another really quick one was um, the, uh, uh, well, first of all, Matt Brazel, the rancher, and uh, right. Jesse Marcel, every one of those came out as, as telling the truth as to what they, they handled and what they saw. That's, a, that's amazing. It is. And when you put it all together, I, I, the, the whole idea of this show in a six-part series is, could you take this case, could you take Roswell to court, and, and say there's a preponderance of the evidence, and and I think you could take it to criminal court, and you could say beyond a reasonable doubt that something happened there that was not from this world, and uh, it, it's just a great series, and I was really uh, happy that they had this new angle on it. Tell me a little bit about your work with Travis Walton, friend of our program, and of course during his episode, which was turned into a movie called Fire in the Sky, he and his uh, logger friends all passed polygraph tests. Yeah, and so, you know, I, having done uh, work when I used to work for the, the federal government, um, I've taken multiple polygraphs as, as a pre-employment thing. And I'll tell you, um, those of your listeners who have had to do it for work or otherwise, you probably know it's one of the most horrible experiences. They're awful. I hate them. Um, and they're not completely accurate, but 
the white paper studies on those place them anywhere from about 80 to, they claim, up to 95% accuracy. So Travis became a friend of mine oh, about 2012, and I was filming Fact or Faked, and so he was very skeptical of me, <laughs> um, <laughs> thinking I was trying to point it out as a hoax, and I was just wondering, who is this guy? Yeah. And we got to know each other, and, and I, I'll tell you, to me, it's, it's one of the most well-documented UFO cases in history, not just because you have seven witnesses, but because they were lucky enough that law enforcement was involved, and all of them, um, many of them multiple times, took the polygraph. So in, in the documentary that we, we created out of this, if you um, mathematically, and I, I did this, I, um, you know, and, and gave the results, but you're anywhere conservatively from a one in, in uh, hundreds of thousands of a chance to millions of a chance of these people lying, if you put any faith in the polygraph. Now, of course, the, the polygraph, though, requires you have the person in front of you, and, and uh, you ask the questions, and so... That was one of the dilemmas with Roswell's. We, we no longer have access to these, um, these witnesses. And um, gosh, man, I, I'm, I'm thinking now, when, where else can we use the technology? Where, what other cases, Bob Lazar or all of these others, you know, that people who, who don't even have to cooperate with you, we can apply this and, and help uh, shed some light on, on these, uh, these very iconic cases. You revisited uh, a case that got me interested in UFOs when I was a kid, the Betty and Barney Hill case. And I wonder if you could put, because the B- Betty is uh, on camera talking to uh, you know, some anchor people and talk show hosts over the, over the years. I wonder if you could use that on her, too. <laughs> you're, you're thinking along the very same lines that I am. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I'm supposed to be... Tom, Tom Schneider, I think she she was interviewed. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of those uh, the witnesses on on tape, and we of course have Betty and Barney's uh, hypnosis tapes, and we have everything there. Um, I on, on my show UFO Witness, um, we we went into that case, and, and we uh, met with uh, you know the niece Kathleen Martin, and um, actually went up to New Hampshire to the university. I think one of the the biggest breakthroughs. For me, um, sometimes when we do these shows, we, we don't, we hope for the best. But, you know, for what they say, TV gold, and just the sheer joy of, of the discovery and my own passion for it, we hope we, we come up with something new. And for those who know the story, um, you know, Betty and Barney Hill coming down from, from a trip to Canada back to their home in New Hampshire, the, the, un, the interrupted journey, you know, the missing time, the the uh, the craft that follows them, and then you know they they wake up thirty miles away, and so through hypnosis we learn um, very very similar accounts from both of them, yet they had no way to to bring out the same details. Now Betty um, allegedly, according to to her dreams and her hypnosis, she believes that she was brought on board and examined with a, a very um, I think would be terrifying medical exam, although she didn't feel that way. And they inserted inside of her abdomen um, what the, the beings told her was sort of like a pregnancy test. Now they put this uh, amniocentesis, that one of those probes. Yeah. yeah. The amniocentesis is what we would think of it now, and sticks this needle in her abdomen 
And um, now she's wearing this dress, and this famous Betty dress is in the archives, the special archives at, um, at the university. And so we um, obtained permission with Kathleen there to uh, bring the dress out, and I had the idea of, of taking um, uh, a black light, a UV light, which I wasn't sure this had ever been done. We took it into a, a dark room, and I found some stains. Now, Kathleen had had a few stains um, tested before, which indicated um, some sort of DNA that was Betty's. But what we discovered was we turned the lining of her dress inside out. Okay, so if you imagine if you were having an exam and they poked a needle through you, um, you're going to have bodily fluids coming out and contacting the inside of that lining. Right. The curious thing was this stain did not go through to the outer side of the dress. So initially, you know, right off the bat, we're, we were able to say, well, that's not, it's not wine, it's not food, it's not something like that, um, because it would be on the outside going in. And we had this analyzed. Um, we did have a sample already of Betty's DNA before she passed. It comes up that it is her organic um, material. They're not able to determine, though, if it was, you know, bile or intestinal or, or blood. But to me, the implications are quite big. Um, it was in an area directly over where her navel would have been. In 1971, Ben, I had a chance to interview Dr. Benjamin Simon, their psychiatrist. Uh-huh. And I asked him specifically if they were telling the truth. And he said, they're not lying. I don't know what happened to them. But whatever happened to them, they both believe it is true. And that was an amazing revelation all by itself. And that's what you consistently hear, and that's what you want to hear from your professionals who have nothing to gain by this. It's an objective statement that says, I believe they believe. And, and that is huge because um, you know, other people come on and say, well, they concocted it, they hoaxed it. Everything from those sessions, everything from those tapes, as he indicates, would, tells him this, this was a traumatic and real event. Now, could they have imagined it all? He leaves that possibility open. But now we have uh, physical corroborating evidence to what she says, that there was some sort of biological fluid, um, you know, right in the abdomen region that is hers, only on the inside. So indicating she was wearing the dress. Now, she hung the dress up that night after she, she got home the next day and never touched it again. Wow. Um, she felt dirty. They, they showered and, and, you know, left that dress as it was and, and as it is now in the museum. So, I mean, these little discoveries, it, it just excites me so much because we're, you know, still adding to these cases we thought had gone cold. In UFO Witness, which uh, you can see streaming on uh, Discovery, uh, you looked at the J. Allen Hynek case of uh, Dexter, Michigan, did you, where he talked about swamp gas? Yeah, so um, UFO Witness... And that uh, haunted him, by the way. It did, you know, and, and, and one of my regrets, I, I met so many of my, my very favorite um, you know, people I'd read about, and unfortunately never got to meet him. And um, as, as people know, um, the Dexter, Michigan case was something of a turning point for him where he finally kind of had enough, and he felt like he'd been a patsy 
for the Air Force. Yeah, like they forced him to say something like that. Oh, we, uh, precisely. So we spoke with uh, Sheriff Harvey. Okay, now Sheriff Harvey went with Heineck to Frank Manor's farm, which is where a lot of this, the UFO flapping occurred, um, and dozens of witnesses uh, in Dexter. And he goes to the farm. He spends all day with Heineck. Heineck's interviewing Frank Manor. Um, and, and getting uh, statements and looking at, at you know where the the object had flown and um, he goes back now and on the drive back to the police station, Sheriff Harvey asked um, Heineck and he says so what do you think you know what do you uh, what what do you make of all this and he looks at him and he's he's puzzled and Heineck tells him I I have no idea I absolutely don't know what's going on. Um, they get there, and all of a sudden there's, there's a press conference. And um, I don't know if they were expecting them there, but the press is waiting for Heineck to come down with his decision on this case. And um, the, his staff uh, of the police department, the chief staff, comes in and says, Hey, uh, uh, Mr. Dr. Heineck, you have a call from Washington. And he goes into the back room, and uh, he's only in there for about a minute. And he, uh, the sheriff told me, he said when he came out, um, Heineck's face completely changed. And he looked at him and he said, it was swamp gas. And he said, what? Just a minute ago, you told me you, you, you had no idea what this was. And he says, I just talked to D.C., it was swamp gas. Oh, jeez. And when he goes up to tell that to the press, of course, there's that, you know, kind of, famous point, you know, where they're, they're ridiculing him. Even the press won't accept this. And uh, he knows that he's, he's kind of become a patsy to the, the whole thing. And, of course, then, you know, this kind of changes his mind on the whole phenomenon. It did. And the, the, the one case that really changed his mind was the Lonnie Zamora police officer case in Socorro, New Mexico. And after talking to Zamora, that totally convinced Heineck there's something else going on here. And he became a believer all of a sudden. Yeah, I think, um, and I love these stories because so many researchers, all you need is an open mind. But he even knew from the beginning, it seems, that he was supposed to, quote-unquote, solve these cases to quell the public fear. Um, during that series, we had um, Jenny Zeidman, who met him at um, the university where he was teaching. And, and Jenny... Um, unfortunately, she, you know, passed away, you know, during our filming, but she was just a wealth of knowledge. Um, I remember talking to her and she, she would just little, you know, every meeting she'd leak out a little more information it would blow us away. So she, um, eventually told us Heineck, um, would get once a week, a van would arrive at the observatory with a file. A courier would come out and would give him the cases that he was supposed to solve. Okay, so this delivery person was very mysterious. Well, um, she asked him about it, and one day Heineck opened up and said, you know that you're, you're really not working for the Air Force, right, and on Project Blue Book, um, but a contractor. Now, she thought this courier was coming from right field, um, from the Air Force base, yeah. they're, you know, right in that area. But one day she looks up the license plate of this guy who's dropping off the stuff, and she was able to get someone to look up um, who the, the vehicle belonged to. She got a name, looked it up in the phone book, and she learned that he was working for the Battelle Institute. 
Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.